Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void and darkness covered the face of the deep. And the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And, and the light God called the day and the night the darkness he called the night and the evening and the morning were the first day. First day. Day one, God made the universe, the, the solar systems, the galaxies. God put light. God, day one, God made the earth. It would be four days before God would turn his attention back to space and, and he would put planets and he would put suns and he would put moons and, and, and he would paint stars across the black velvet sky of midnight, all across those galaxies, all across those solar systems. We love to go out at night and, and look up at the stars. Now, years ago, before Galileo made that homemade telescope, which was back in 1610, mankind, if all the conditions were perfect, mankind could go outside, look up at the stars. And if everything was perfect, on his best day, he might be able to count 6,000 stars. And then Galileo came along with that homemade telescope and he said, now, wait a minute, I, I see 30,000 stars. And early in the 1900s, this man by the name of Hubble came along and, and the Hubble telescope there in that observatory, he went, whoa. Not too long ago, the Hubble Space Telescope was launched. And when it was launched, it went out into space and it showed us things that we had never seen before. And all of a sudden, we were seeing stars that we didn't know existed. We were seeing galaxies and solar systems that we had no idea that they were there. We saw stars. At one time, we thought they were millions and then tens of millions and then hundreds of millions and then billions and then hundreds of billions. I think I'm correct. I, I think that mankind has only named about 300 stars. I think it's actually less than 300. Bible says that God calls every one of them by name. Everyone that he created and painted across the galaxies. He didn't just create them and place them in the different solar systems and the different galaxies. He has named them all. Wow. And this God that you and I serve, he's painted so, he's put so many of them out there. If, if you just took the stars in our, in, in, in our galaxy, just, just in our galaxy. Okay, if you're, if you're 14 years or younger, you got to say this loud because in a room like this, I might not hear you. What is the name of our galaxy? We named the candy bar after it. Milky Way. So if you, if, you, if you tried to count all the stars just in our galaxy starting today, and if you could count three per second without stopping, 
without stopping for anything. And if you live to be a hundred and something years old, and for a hundred years you counted three stars per second without stopping ever, you have counted less than 5% of the number of stars that are up there, and that's just in our galaxy. Here's what the, here's what the Bible says. Here's what the Bible says. There, there are so many that are out there. This is out of Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God and the skies announce what his hands have made. Day after day, they tell the story. Night after night, they tell it again. They have no speech or words. They don't make any sound to be heard, but their message goes out throughout the whole world. If creation is that awesome, how much more majestic must our creator be? I was thinking about this. Um, you know, Hubble has shown us so much that God has placed out there. And I know a lot of scientists, most scientists don't believe that God did it. Um, they don't even believe that, that God exists. Um, God would call them a fool because um, it's the fool that says in his heart, there is no God. But Hubble's gone up there and, and, and shown us things that we never even knew existed. And, and now a few Novembers back, instead of us thinking there's 200 billion galaxies out there, a few Novembers back, you know, a lot because of what Hubble did, they said, you know, we're just not sure. There might be as many as two trillion galaxies out there. See, here's what I think. Now, it doesn't matter what I think, but my speculation is that's what I'm going to be one of the great things about heaven. Your backyard, that's it. The things that God is going to let you see once you get there, Christian, to heaven. I know there's a city whose maker and builder is God, but there's also a country and there's space. And just what we are able to see, I know you can't get your mind around this. I, I can't get my mind around this. But if you were able to travel as far as we could have been able to see just so far, it'd take you 14 billion light years. Now that's traveling at the speed of light. Take you 14 billion light years just to travel to the edge of what we've already seen. Bore you just a second, bore you just a second. Go back to the classroom. And the, and the professor said, light travels at the speed of, do you remember what light travels at, at the speed of, how fast does light travel? That's exactly right, 186,000 miles per second. So light travels at 186,000 miles per second. So how many seconds are there in a year? I can almost see some of you pulling out your phone, you're doing the math. There are 31,536,000 seconds in a year. It would take you 14 billion light years just to get to the edge of what we can see. And that's just what we can see. There's a whole lot more out there. We're constantly discovering new planets and stars and solar systems and it's never ending. I think it's endlessly wonderful, but, but I want you to think about this church because it's where we're going tonight. What is the first recorded thing that we 
heard God say? What's the first, what are the first recorded words that God spoke? I think that's pretty significant, significant to say, well, God, here's the first thing you ever said. What's the first thing he ever said? Let there be light. Out of all the things he could have said, that's what he said. That was good. I don't know who did that, but that was, that was good. It's no accident that that's what he said. Let there be light. It's extremely significant. The apostle Paul picks up on that. And and when he writes what he writes, and he wrote half the New Testament, he, he likens you, believer, you Christian, he likens you, likens us to being shining stars. Stars, that's the word that he uses. And the word that he used for stars means to reflect. We reflect. Now go back to the classroom, just a moment. It's important to know um, the scientific community would say, well, celestial objects reflect light from the sun. And there's a word they use for that. The word is albedo, A-L-B-E-D-O. It is the percentage of light that a celestial body reflects. So for instance, you look up in the night sky, you see the planet Venus. Well, Venus's albedo is 65%, meaning 65% of the light from the sun is reflected off of Venus. You look at our moon that we watch night after night after night after night. Guess what the albedo, guess what the percentage of light our moon reflects from the sun. Now, Venus is 65%. That's a, and Venus is a long way off. The, the, the moon is only 225,000 miles away. Guess what the percentage of the moon's reflection rate is? Guess, just, just guess. Just guess. Okay, somebody else guess. <laughs> I'm not about to say. The, the, the number seven. The moon only reflects 7% of, of the, sun's, the sun's light. By way of illustration, what Paul is doing in the Bible when he says you, you're like stars, you shine like stars, he, it's like he's saying you have a spiritual albedo. As Christians, you, we, we reflect the light and the glory of Christ that shines and, and the glory that shines in us. Paul says it this way, we're ever being transformed from glory to glory. We are reflecting. Matter of fact, in Romans 8, he says, the goal of God is that we would be conformed into the image of Christ. That's God's great goal for all of us. Man, woman, boy, girl, student, old, young, regardless of race. God's God's great goal for us is that we would look like his son. So here's a test. Multiple choice. Third time we've been in the classroom tonight. Who does God want you to be like? A, Ken and Barbie. (laughs) B, the high dollar model. C, the professional athlete. D, Jesus. Who does God want you to be like? I, I know what the world wants. I know that people chase 
the perfect body and the wonderful strength and, and the tan and the notoriety and the money. I know what the world chases after. I, I want to look like Ken. I want to look like Barbie. I, I want to look like the rock. I, I want to look like that athlete. I, I want to look like that high dollar model. If I could just, you know, if I could just look like that, if I could just have that money, if I could just have that notoriety. And God says, I tell you who I want you to look like. I want you to look like my son. Because the great goal of the father is that the world would look at you and see what he is like. Your reflection rate. When, when God looks at you, when God looks at me, what he wants to see is his son, the reflection of his son through our lives. And, and I know that you and I don't produce the light. We can only reflect it. The light of God in us. And I know what you're thinking. Some of us go, well, I wonder what that percentage, how, how much, what percent would God want me to reflect the light of his son? I'm not about to give that percentage out. I wasn't even going to mention the moon. That's, that's, a, that's a deep question. That's a convicting question is how much of the light of Christ does God want reflected in my life? Take your copy of God's word, Ephesians chapter five. We're going back there. Pastor Brian led us there a few Wednesday nights ago and the Lord has led us back there again tonight. So would you take your Bible because God shine, I mean, Paul shines a spotlight on this. Ephesians chapter five, handful of verses, Ephesians chapter five. We're going to read verse one, then we're going to jump down to verse eight and go down to several more verses and then we're going to try to apply it. But again, as we read it, prayer, God, would you, would you speak to me through these words? Because we, these are not the words of men. They're the words of God. And here's what God says. Now, before we read it, look at the person beside you and say, now you pay attention to this. God's speaking to you. Go ahead and tell them. God's speaking to you. Now the other person, you look at the person, but you, you say this to them, but you need it more. Go ahead and look at the person beside you, but you need it more. You need it more. So Ephesians chapter five, verse one, here's what God says to all of us. Therefore be imitators of God. Therefore, very quickly understand this. When, when you read the book of Ephesians, brilliant how Paul does this. Ephesians is only six chapters. Chapters one through three is Paul saying, here's the truth. Here's the doctrine. Here's the theology. Here's the orthodoxy. Here's the truth of what you need to understand. These are foundational truths you need to understand. Whether you call it theology, whether you call it doctrine, whether you call it orthodoxy, whether you call it believing right. Chapters one through three is about believing right. Get, getting the theology right. Getting the belief system right. Chapters one through three is about that. Chapters four, five, and six is, okay, here's how you live it out. Brilliant how he does that. Half of it is about making sure your belief system is right, making sure your doctrine is right, making sure you're walking in under, making sure you understand truth. Four, five, and six is making sure you're walking in it and living it. So he gets to chapter five. And so when he says, therefore, that's about what's going before. Therefore, be imitators of, what's the word in your Bible? Be imitators of God as dearly loved children and, and walk in love as the Messiah or Christ has also loved us. He gave himself for us. Skipping a lot of verses, 
so we can let you out before nine o'clock tonight. Go down to verse eight. Verse eight. For you were once, whoa. He didn't say you were once in darkness. He said, for you were once darkness. Pretty serious. I mean, God used to look at us and he didn't just say you were walking in darkness. He said, you were darkness. Matter of fact, earlier in Ephesians, God said, you were my enemies. You're not my enemies now. There was a time that we were darkness, that we were enemies of God. For you were, for you were once darkness, but now you are, what's that next word? You are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the light results in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Discerning what is pleasing to the Lord. Don't, don't participate in the fruitless works of darkness, but, but instead expose them. For it's shameful to even mention what is done by them in secret. Everything exposed by the light is made clear for what makes everything clear is light. Pay attention then to how you walk, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time because the days are evil. So don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And, and don't be drunk with wine, which leads to reckless actions, but be filled with the spirit. The light of God in you, the light of God in, in me. And his light does so many transforming things in our lives. But, but tonight I just want to focus on two. There are more than two that are here. Um, more than true principles, more than two truths. But I, I just wanted to focus tonight on a couple because they're so crucial to getting life right. Number one that, that Paul says here, the light of God in you expresses the difference about you. It makes sense, doesn't it? The light of God in me, the light of God in you expresses the difference about you. There's this, this marked and measurable difference between light and dark. And throughout the whole of Bible, there's this profound emphasis on God's people living his light, living his truth, expressing the difference that Christ makes in our lives, that Christ makes in our lives. So these are familiar verses to you. Jesus looks at us in the Gospel of Matthew and he says, that, he says it this way. He says, you, you are the light of the world. You said, no, not me. You don't, you don't know my past. You don't know my heart. You don't know my head. You don't know the junk in my trunk. You, you don't know the decisions that I make. No, God says, if you belong to him, he says, you are the light of the world. No, somebody else must be the light. I'm not the light. I'm telling you, you're it. You're, you're, you're the light of the world. Fuss with me, fuss with him. No, don't even fuss with him. Just accept the fact that Jesus says, you, child of God, you're the light of the world. And, and the light of the world, you're a city set on a hill, cannot be hidden. Uh, let your light so shine before men that they would, they would see how you live. They would see your good works and they would glorify your father that is in heaven. He said, you are the light of the world. hundred times in the New Testament, a hundred times, at least a hundred times, God uses this word light and, and he calls us to be light. Didn't say he always calls us to, causes us to be liked, L-I-K-E-D. But he always calls us to be light. It's hard to say that and make sure it comes out right. 
God doesn't always cause us to be liked by this world, L-I-K-E-D, but he always calls us, C-A-L-L-S, he always calls us to be, to be light. That's what Jesus says you are. You're light. You're light. As a kid growing up in Route 4, Siler City, we grew up poor. We didn't have a whole lot of stuff, but I can tell you, I'll, I'll never forget. It was about this big. It was a little bit bigger than a, than a silver dollar. You remember silver dollars? A little bit bigger. And it was just this old drab rubber ball. I mean, it would bounce. It would bounce. But that wasn't what was so cool about it. The fact that it bounced was really cool, but we turned out all the lights in the trailer. And we would, we, would, we would then go to that one light right by between the, the couch and the recliner and we'd turn on the light and we'd hold that ball up to the light for about 60 seconds. We'd just hold it up, turn it around a little bit. And then we'd cut the light out in the house and all of a sudden it's like, whoa. Because that little round sphere was this glow in the dark, miraculous piece of, I don't know what it was made out of. And you could, you could take that glow-in-the-dark rubber ball. Oh, come on. Some of you still got it, and you still play with it. It's, it's, it's cool. No matter how old you are, there's just something about a, a glow-in-the-dark rubber ball. And, and they're going to have them in heaven, by the way. But that's a different story. But, but you'd, take, you'd take that rubber ball, and, and, and you'd go outside, and one of you get on one side of the field, and one of you get on the other side of the field, because in the country you don't have lots, you have acres. And so Lynn would get way down, and, and you would, you, on a dark night, you would take that thing, and you would hurl it. The Hebrew word is chunkos. You would, you would, you would chunk it, and, and, and the other person would watch it as it, as it sails through the sky, and, and every once in a while you'd hear, Oof, on the other side, and you knew it smacked them right in the face, and that was just hilarious. But, but they would watch it, and, and, and then they would grab it, and then they would, they would hurl it, and you'd watch that thing going through the midnight sky. And, I mean, it was a blast for a 79-cent little piece of ball. You, you could be entertained for years. Come on, just be honest. It's just us. It's Wednesday night. How many of you used to love to play with that? Go ahead and raise your hand. Go ahead and raise it. We did. It was, it was, it was <clears throat> when you held it close to the light, it changed its properties and it brightly glowed in its dark surroundings. You know where I'm headed with this, right? Yes. When you Christian walk closely alongside of Christ, you glow in the dark. You glow in the dark. And, and it happens like this. Jesus has this beautiful way of rubbing off on you. When you walk with Christ, his radiance, his goodness, his peace, his demeanor, his priorities, they rub off on you. When you stick close to the king, not only can you tell it, people around you can tell it. Because you're glowing in the dark. There's this there's this goodness, this God-likeness. There's this grace that is about you. Um, that's actually where the word Christian came from. These people, you know, 2,000 years ago when that phrase was coined, Christian, it means those people are like little Christs. That's what Christian means. 
they act like him, they talk like him, they live like him, they, they care like he cares, they give like he gives. They, the light of God in you expresses the difference about you. It is a description that is unlike the dark world around you. And to walk as children of light, there are some things it necessitates. One of the things it necessitates to, to walk as a child of the light, you have to be a child of the light. I mean, that makes sense, doesn't it? To walk as children of light, you have to be children of light. Um, one of the necessary things is this. It is the necessity of the new birth. I want what God does in my life. He says, well, here's what it means. Because there's only one reality that changes my heart and my mind and my actions and my thinking and my standing before God and my lifestyle before men. There's only one thing that changes that. I'm glad there's only one. I'm glad God didn't say, well, here's the list of 12,463. God didn't give us even three. God says, here's the one thing that'll change the trajectory of your life from now and forever. Jesus put it this way. You must be born again. That's it. That, that's it. You must be born again. In the moment that I said yes to this Jesus, his offer of salvation, he, he changed me by his blood. That was a beautiful thing. But then he charged me by his Holy Spirit. He put his Holy Spirit in me and he lit me up. <laughs> and he, he lit you up. And the, the greatest high that you will ever experience this side of heaven is when God lights you up. Man can get you lit for a short time, but short times don't go very far. But when God gets a hold of you, uh, when God lights you up, there is not a substance on this planet. There is not a relationship in this world that even comes close to what God in Christ will do in you and do for you when you yield yourself to him. Not one. The necessity of the, the new birth in order to be children of the light, I, I've, I've got to be a child of God. And when I say yes to him, one of the things that he does is, is he brings this new brightness in my life. He brings this new brightness in your life because when Christ, when he comes to live in you, everything that he is, he brings with him. This is something that we as church members, we, we have struggled with this. We struggled with this. I'm sitting a few days ago at Dickie Doo's over in Hall River eating my barbecue sandwich and, and, um, and I won't mention names, but one of our church members, you know, he, he stood by my table. We talked for a while and he said, you know, that, that is the thing that I really struggle with, that God feels that way about me. That, that God would love me like that, that God would feel that way about me, that God would want to do that in, in me. He says, I'm still working on that. Truth is that we're all still working on. It's a thing, we have the hardest time getting this through our heads and into our hearts. What is it we have? A, here is the exact thing that we have such a hard time getting in our heads and down in our hearts. That when God comes to live inside of me, all of him comes to live inside of me. 
when Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose from the dead and when he offered to you the, the, the salvation that he offered to you and he said, my spirit's going to come and live in you. Let me ask you this question. When God comes to live inside of you, how much of him do you get? But you struggle with that because if, if I lived like all of God lives in me, then I, I would think that I would live a little bit different. I, I would think that his love and his leading and his life and his light, his presence and his provision and his power, I would, I would think that if I believed that all of him lives inside of me, I think I would live a little bit different. Part of our problem, I'm not beating up on you. I'm just, I'm just watching how people live. I, I think part of our problem is, is that we don't believe that when we got God, we got all of him. And the Bible says you didn't get part of who he is. You got all of who he is. And all of who he is, Christian, lives inside of you. You got all of him that there is to get. And when he gets inside of you, he starts lighting things up. Question is... How bright do you want to be? Just asking. When um, I forgot to bring my flashlight. So let's just pretend like, well, I didn't forget it. I left it in Melissa's office. Let's pretend like I've got a flashlight in this hand. And when you, when you have a flashlight, um, they're different sizes. I've got, I've got lights that barely, you can barely, it's just got a little AAA battery in it. I mean, you can't barely, you can't barely hardly see out of it. I've got lights that when they hit you in the eyes, they almost blind you. The, the brightness of a flashlight is measured in lumens. Lumens means brightness. You know, a, a lifetime ago, you know, when dad, he had this, this floodlight. It said a million candle power. When it hit you in the face, you felt like a million candle power. Now we measure them in lumens, but some flashlights are three lumens. Some of them are five, some of them are 13. You go to our great military in the United States, the military has this tactical light. It's 6,000 lumens. It hits you in the face. It, not just, it doesn't just disorient you. It knocks you into next month. <laughs> the question is this, um, how bright is my light? How bright is the God who is reflecting his image off of me? How bright is that? Maybe another way of asking it is this, you know, all right, true or false, you've already answered this. Jesus lives in every believer, true or false? True. So the question is this, why is it? Why is it that you look at one believer and you see so much more of Jesus in him or in her than when you look at another believer? Why is it that you see more of him in some people than you do in other people. Why does the light of Christ shine more brightly in that Christian than it does in this Christian? That's a fair question. Glad you answered it because Ephesians, I mean, glad you asked it because Ephesians answers it. The question is this, why does the light of Christ shine more brightly in that Christian than it does in that other Christian? And, and what, what Paul does is he says, guys, here, here's the answer to that. Matter of fact, he doesn't list 4,000 things. He says these five things will affect how brightly the light of Christ reflects off of your life. These five things. How fast are you going to give them, Mike? Pretty fast, pretty fast. 
I just want you to write them down because I have an exercise I want you to do a little bit later. But, but, but these five practices, these five realities, these five steps that I take in my life greatly affects my brightness. Write them down real quick. Word number one is in verse eight. It's the word walking. We read it, but walking is children of light. So one of the things that I can do, one of the choices, decisions that I can make in this world of men is I can decide that I am going to walk as a child of light. My job in this world is not to convince people how great I am. Excuse me while I go vomit. My job is not to convince the world of men how great I am, because I'm not. My job is to convince the world of men how great he is, because he is. And I'm going to make this decision to walk as a child of light. It's one of the ways that, that you radiate who Christ is. It's one way that you become the light of the world and that you show that. You, show that. you walk as children of light, verse 8. Second word, it's in verse 10, learning. Learning through Christian growth. Another word they use in that verse is discerning, but, but learning and discerning through Christian growth. You know, God, how is it that you want me to live? It's, it's what it means by growing in the grace and the knowledge of your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It's, it's, it's part of what it means to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It's, it's what it means that we learn, we discern. God, how is it that you want me to live out my faith? Help me navigate through the minefields. Help me to make the right turns at those intersections. God, I need your help to help me learn through this experience of Christian growth. Learning, learning. So the first one is walking. Oh, excuse me. What is the first one? Walking. What is the second one? Learning. In other words, discerning, but learn, same thing. The third word, refusing. It's in verse 11. This is the one that's so hard for, for most Christians in America and in Europe. In, in verse 11, refusing. That's a great word. Refusing to do life like the world does life. Refusing to think like the world, to act like the world, to live like the world. Verse 11. Fourth word in, in verse 16 is the word using, meaning I'm going to use the time that God has given me wisely because there, I'm just a vapor in this world. I'm gone. It's that fast. It's that fast. Wow. And guys, you know, the Lord, he gets faster, it goes, how does that work? Don't know. I just know it flies. It just, it just flies by. And, and, and the, 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 um, The width of this little piece of paper right here is how fast life flies. You're born and you die, right? right. It's just, it just flies by. And it's one of the reasons why God says, use the time that you've got wisely. You don't get any extra of it and you don't have a lot, to, a lot of it anyway. Would you use the time that you got wisely? Fifth word, verse 18, the word is yielding, yielding. Yielding myself to the control of the Holy Spirit that lives inside of me. How do you, how do you show, how do you reflect the light of Christ in your life to a world that walks in darkness? Paul says five things, five things. Actually, three more things, but in this, this five right here. What was the first word? Walking. Second word. Third word. Fourth word. Fifth word. 
All five of those are willful choices. By the way, all five of those words are action words. It's something that we do. And it's, it's not, be careful of this, it's not something that we once did. It is something, yes, we once did. It was a step that we took. It was an action that we made. But it is also a continual process. It's a continual journey. So there's never a time that I'm stopping walking and learning and refusing and using and, 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 and yielding. That, that, that just never stops. Well, maybe after you die. But I'm not even sure about then. I think when you're in that casket, you all just bump that thing around a little bit, you know, so the world knows I'm not through. Yes, you're through. But I'm just saying you don't ever get to the point in your life that you stop until you die. The light of God in, in you, it expresses the difference about you. But the second thing, and it's just as hard as the first thing at times in our lives. The light of God in you exposes the darkness around you. The light of God in you expresses the difference about you, but it also exposes the darkness around you. Now listen, Peter, Paul, and Mary, no, no, Peter, Paul, and James, Peter, Paul, I, mean, I think they were an old group years ago, weren't they? Peter, Paul, and James, all three of them, they, they go to great lengths to tell us that, that we as Christ followers we not only stand up for what is right in this world, we stand against what is wrong in this world. Is there anything wrong with the world of men that we live in today? And it's not enough that we just stand up in here for what is right. It's also important that we stand up or stand against what is wrong, what is false, what's bad. And so what Paul does is, is he underscores a negative and a positive as you think about, okay, part of our job in this world is to expose what's false, to expose the lies, to expose what's hurtful, to expose what's bad. Well, that's your job. What? I mean, it's your job. If you name the name of Christ, you are light. It's, it's your job as much as it is my job. And there's people that you can reach and you can speak to. They don't even listen to me because they know all here. He's a preacher. He's, he's a pastor. He's change your language. It's amazing. It's amazing when pastors walk up to people, how all of a sudden they get all holy and their language changes. And, and I mean, you just walked up before them and I mean, it was bless this and G-O this and F this and S-O-B that. And all of a sudden you walk up to them, brother, brother. I'm telling you, I'm telling you. God doesn't expect anything out of me that he doesn't expect out of you. And one thing that he wants us to do in this world is to stand against what is false and what is wrong. So what Paul does, particularly in verse 11, there's this negative and the positive. The negative point, look in verse 11, he says, he says, don't live in darkness any longer. That's the negative. Don't, that's a good thing. Don't live in darkness any longer. The positive, verse 11, do identify and expose what's dangerous and dark within this culture. Why? Because we live and we walk as children of light. As children of light, we, we don't live in darkness any longer. We used to not just live in it. We used to be it. Not only do we not live in darkness any longer, we, we also identify and expose what is dangerous and dark within culture. You mean God's called me to stand up? What do you think? 
If, if you don't, who will? There's not anybody left. Just asking. Matter of fact, I've been watching over the last few years, I've, I've been watching this culture. Culture has screamed so loud and so long and they've screamed long enough and loud enough that good people and godly people are afraid to open our mouths. Is that true or false? We've now descended to this putrid, sick, unworkable, at times unimaginable environment that we now call cancel culture. If I don't like your looks, if I don't like your mouth, if I don't like your thoughts, if I don't like your life, if I don't like your stand, I'm going to marginalize you. I'm going to destroy you. I don't know. I thought I used to live in this United States of America that had a constitution that said every man has the right to free speech. Cancel culture says you don't have a right to free speech. All you have a right to do is stand up and parrot what we say. And if you don't stand up and parrot what we say, we're going to destroy you. We're going to go after your jobs. We're going to go after your family. In some cases, we're going to physically hurt you. In some cases, we're going to kill you. We're going to cancel you out. Decades ago, they used to just say the squeaky wheel gets the grease. Today, it's not just a squeaky wheel. It's an Abrams tank. And if you don't, if you don't parrot what they say, if you don't parrot what they think, cancel culture will come after you. I'm so afraid. <laughs> what you going to do to me? Kill me. What, what, what are you, what, what, what are you going, what are you going to do to me? They tried to shut the first disciples up and they prayed, God, give us boldness to speak. And if I perish, I perish. I know that was Esther said that, but that was, that was their attitude. I remember in churches years ago where we used to sing onward Christian soldiers and stand up, stand up for Jesus. And now we sing Jesus loves me. Now don't misunderstand me. I believe with every fiber of my being, with every cell that is in my body, that there is a God of grace and there is a God of goodness and there is a God of love and there is a God of mercy and there's a God who is present and we adore him and we exalt him and we magnify him and we glorify him and we praise him and we tell of his goodness and we tell of his grace. I believe in the love of God. What I'm trying to say is there's more to this Christian life than just believing how much Jesus loves me. I got to stand up. I got to stand up for Jesus. I got to be a soldier who is onward. Sometimes, sometimes, I, I, I know it doesn't happen here in us, but I've just noticed it other places, so I thought I'd mention it. Sometimes we forget what faith demands. Here's how Jude put it. Love the way Jude said it. I fully intended, just one chapter in the Bible, you know, right before Revelation. I fully intended, dear friends, to write to you about our common salvation, but I feel compelled to make my letter to you an earnest appeal to put up a real fight for the faith which has been once and for all committed to those who belong to Christ. 
I was going to write to you this, but I feel, I feel moved by the Spirit to say that I'm making an earnest appeal to you to put up a real fight for the faith. And the word that most of us in this room know out of that passage is the word, we contend for the faith. Here's just something to chew on. Don't have time enough to talk about it, but here's how I wrote it. The depth of your love determines the reach of your light. The depth of your love for Jesus, the depth of your love for people will determine the reach of your light. And oftentimes that love requires something of us. We, we have to contend for our faith. Now, Paul mentioned those five things. Here are five things that will help us reflect the glory of God. There's two or three other things that he, that he highlights. He, he thinks back about what Jesus said when Jesus there in the Sermon on the Mount said, you're the light of the world, you're sitting on a hill. Uh, you don't light a lamp and then put it under a basket, put it under a bushel, but you hold it up so it gives light to the whole house. Paul is thinking about what Jesus said back then. So Paul addresses some ways that we as Christians if we're not careful, there are some things that will bushel our light because he covers that. I won't mention them all. You can read them for yourself. But, but to make an analogy, if you were to go to Seattle, Washington, you'd, you'd probably want to see the Space Needle. That's a cool place. You might even want to go down to the Pike Place Market. You know that market that's famous where you order a fish and they throw it at you. You remember that, that place? You might have a 15-pound a halibut that's $35 a pound. That is the going rate today. I checked it. It's $34.99 a pound, so you don't even have to look it up. And you go in that place and you say, well, I like a 15-pound halibut. And they'll go find it, they'll weigh it, and then they'll sling it across. And people from all over the world just come to the Pike Place Market just to see them flinging expensive fish. If you go to Seattle, Washington, you'd probably want to go see that place. If you went to San Francisco, California, you'd probably want to go to the Fisherman's Wharf, maybe eat at one of the restaurants down there, get some clam chowder. Or as the northern folks say, chowder. I can't even say it right. It's not chowder. You look across at Alcatraz, you look over there and you see the Golden Gate Bridge. You got to see that. If you went to New York City, you'd probably want to see the Statue of Liberty, among other things, and then get out. <laughs> Can I get a witness? <laughs> anyway, 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 anyway. The celestial language of heaven is what? Southern draw. But anyway, I think that was from Sunday. If you visited Ephesus in Paul's day, the place you would probably go would be the temple of Artemis. It was famous in the then known world. If you grew up in Ephesus, you, you would just... You, the temple of Artemis was run by a fertility cult and it had temple prostitutes. And so as foreign as that is to us, and thankfully so people went to church in order to have sex with the prostitutes. That's what people grew up in Ephesus doing. Now, Paul spent two and a half years of his life there, so he knew what was happening. Ephesus was an incredible place in many ways. It, it was one of the seven wonders 
of the ancient world. It, it, there was a theater in Ephesus in Paul's day. It held 25,000 people. The city of Ephesus in Paul's day was a quarter of a million people. It was the capital. It was the premier city in that western part of Asia Minor. It was a place where all kinds of people came to. But if you were a believer who grew up in Ephesus, you grew up accepting certain cultural practices that were going to destroy you after you accepted Christ. Well, they'll destroy you before you accept Christ, but that was what Ephesus was like. So enter stage right, Paul the Apostle. And he shows up and, and he loves them and he serves them and he preaches and he teaches and, and he lays down biblical truth brick upon brick. And then he says to the Christians that grew up there in Ephesus because Ephesus was full of people who were grossly affected by the immoral culture in which they lived. I'm just so glad my country today is not so grossly affected by our culture of immorality. I was just checking to see if you were still listening. Um, do you think our society is any different? I mean, our culture is an oozing infection of immorality of, of every kind imaginable and some not imaginable. Um, our children, our grandchildren, our nieces, our nephews, our neighbors, we're plagued with this unending onslaught of immorality. Listen carefully. That is not there to merely entertain people. It's there to devour them. There's a difference. We play with stuff. We think that we want to enjoy that. We think that we want to consume that. I've never had this happen before, but just a few days ago, I'm riding up 62 north out of town and went over a rise and right there in the middle of the road there was a dead critter. It was all bloody and messy so it was kind of hard to identify. Growing up in the country you can usually identify roadkill but I wasn't sure what this was but, but it was right in the middle of the road. The, the front part of it from here up was gone. It was just, well, I won't describe it any further to you. It was in the middle of the road. I looked to the side of the road and there were all these buzzards had congregated. And you know how they do. They, they have that roadkill in the middle of the road. And, and, and you got Henrietta on this side and you got Ferdinand on this side. And Ferdinand is looking south and Henrietta is, is looking north. And they just talked to each other. I mean, I, I went by, I heard them talking. Nothing coming, nothing coming. And then they'd all hop out in the middle of the road and they'd grab a few bites and some of them get a big old bloody slab of it. And then and Henrietta would go, whoa, whoa, something coming, something coming. And then they'd go back off the road. There's a whole congregation of them. I slowed down to watch them. I'm an animal whisperer. And, and I, heard, I heard Henry Ann and Ferdinand talking again. Nothing there except a slow moving truck with an old man. And, 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 so, and so I slowed down and I watched them and, and they all hopped out in the middle of the road. They were going to get them another bite, get them another bite. I started, I started crying. This is a strange thing. Mike, you must be off your medication. What? I don't, I don't take any medication. I was crying because I started thinking about people that I know 
people that I love, they're just like those buzzards. They're going to hop out here in the middle of what is deadly in order to take a bite of this something that is dead in order to fill their stomach because they think that they want it. And what they don't realize is no matter how good Ferdinand and Isabella or whatever names I gave to them a while ago are, you're going to nail, you're going to kill some of those things. You're going to run right over a whole bunch of them. Well, that's what happens in life. I'm, I'm thinking of people that they, they hop out here, you know, where they, they hop out into the world and we, we take a bite of that pleasurable thing that we think we want, we think we need. Or maybe society puts pressure on us in order to consume whatever it is. And the thing that we don't realize is there is a train that's coming and I'm not going to get out of the way and it's going to crush me. I'm crying going up the road. Never cried over buzzards before. But it wasn't buzzards. I was crying over believers because the same thing happens to them. Paul is starting to warn us. He's, he's saying, you, it's going to devour you. Uh, quickly, three dangers and we're going to pray. I won't read all of it, but in verses three through eight, um, danger number one, Paul says, he says, now listen, believer, Christ follower. I know you grew up in an accepted, oversexed, immoral culture, but among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality. Not even a hint. Now, I know we're getting ready to move from G to PG 13, but the word that Paul uses there is the word, see if it sounds like a word that you've ever heard before, pornea. Pornea, from which we get the word, what's the word? Pornography. Among you, there must not even be a hint of, of pornea. And of course, that word is not just talking about pornography. That word is any sort of sexual activity outside of marriage. So premarital sex, that one night stand, adultery, homosexuality, the gay lifestyle, pornography, sexual fantasy, all of it and more than that. Paul said, among you who shine as lights in this world, who are like stars, don't, don't even let a hint of that be in your in your life. Let me ask it this way, you know, because Jesus said, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we're supposed to live down here in obedience to him just like we would live up there in obedience to him. Do you think there's pornea in heaven? Do you think there's immorality in heaven? Do you think there's adultery in heaven? A thousand times, no. I don't think I've ever made this statement before, but I would wager my soul on the fact that if Jesus had a PC or a Mac or a smartphone, he would never watch porn. He wouldn't chase somebody else's wife. He wouldn't be involved in the gay lifestyle. When he was a teenager, he would, I guarantee you, he didn't try to pull girls' clothes off on the backseat of that camel. I'm just telling you, Because you, you and I, Christian, we don't get our cues from culture. We get our cues from Christ. Amen. Society does not dictate our lifestyle. The Savior dictates our lifestyle. We're going to live different. Very quickly, two other dangers Paul mentions. One of them, he says, both of them, verse 11, one of the dangers is Christians who cower. That is, we're not going to stand up. And another danger is 
third danger is, you know, when we play around in the dark, we get used to the dark. Close with this. It wasn't my finest hour. I was 15 years old and, and uh, they called it the rat. I think the full name was the Ram's Head Wrath Skeller. And my future brother-in-law said, we're going to the rat. It was this iconic Chapel Hill bar restaurant. It was located beneath Franklin Street. To enter the rat, you walk down these steep concrete stairs off of Franklin Street. You entered through this place called Amber Alley. There was this large hole in the ground. That was the restaurant. There were a lot of people in there. Uh, most of them were college students. The, pe the pizza was incredible. The surroundings were very crowded. But what I remember about it, besides the pizza being so good, I remember how dark it was. You'd walk into the rat and you start running into things. You'd run into people. You'd run in the chair. You'd run in the table. You'd, are you drunk? Well, not yet, but, but no. Because <laughs> there was a lot of that going on in the rat and I didn't get drunk. But, but we, were, we were going in there and, and you just start running into things. Man, that was good pizza. Restaurant doesn't exist anymore as far as I know, but, but, I, but I remember sitting down there. There's certain things I remember. I remember, I, rem I remember, well, it's so dark in this place that if they put the wrong thing on that pizza, I'm not ever going to be able to see it. I mean, it was like a cave in there with hardly any light. And what I noticed was, I, I noticed that the longer that I stayed in there, my eyes got used to the dark. I'm 15 years old. And the Holy Spirit who lived inside of me, I heard his whisper. I heard his whisper. Because there was something dangerous and foreboding. And he reminded me, Mike, the longer that you walk around in the dark, the more you're going to get used to it. And I didn't call you to be dark. I called you to be light. Among the ancient Greeks... Um, they were always having races in Paul's day. They were having races. And among the ancient Greeks, they would, um, they would run all these races. They ran them all the time. But the person that won the race in Paul's day wasn't the person who finished first. The person who ran the race and won it and was awarded the crown was not only the person who finished first, he had to finish first with his torch still lit. You see the application. I don't want to just run this race with endurance. I don't want to just finish it. I want to go across the line still lit. What'd you do at church Wednesday night? Got lit. Father, in this place tonight, I pray that every being in this room, that you would do such a work in us, that we would live lit. That the fire would never go out. The knees would never buckle except when we pray. That our faith would stand even when we feel weak. Father, the world would look at us and know what you're like. And we would cross that line with the torch still burning. 
God, help me to get there. Don't let me stop before I finish. And keep me lit till it's all over. God, till that day, may we live lit for the glory and the praise of the one who is worthy, whose name is Jesus. Amen.